you way back in January that I think Beethoven's Ninth Symphony is the biggest and best of all of his works. It is his magnum opus, the final symphony he wrote, and by any measurement, the grandest of his works. It included a full orchestra, full chorus, operatic soloists. It was long, it was loud, and everything about it was so dramatic that even to the modern era, when Sony came out with the compact disc, do you know how they decided what was the proper size to make a CD the first time they invented one? They wanted to make it long enough to fit the entirety of Beethoven's Ninth. (laughs) It mattered that much in the grand scheme of music history. The Ninth was and is a masterpiece of composition. It's where we get Ode to Joy from, which is everything from the anthem of the European Union to a hymn that we sing on a fairly regular basis, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. That piece of music grand and epic as it was it had it had and has such an impact still today and i think the reason that that worked so well as i said back in january is because it basically took all the musical traditions of a culture and all the amassed knowledge of a devoted expert in the field of music and brought all of that together in one in one big burst of musical glory. Now, I've been talking about that symphony since January because I think if you had to pinpoint among the writings of Paul, if you had to pinpoint his magnum opus, it would be the letter to the Romans. I'm not saying that it's his best writing, although it could be, but I am saying it is his grandest piece of writing, that more than any other thing that he constructed, the the Apostle Paul put himself and all of the knowledge he had of the, the backstory of God and his people and all the teachings that came through centuries of them knowing God or not knowing God, as the case may be. It all came together in one all-out burst of teaching. And that's why we have spent so much time, in fact, this is the 10th sermon that, we, that I've preached out of the book of Romans this year, and we've had our daily Bible reading, and we've had our Wednesday night talks out of the, out of the letter to the Romans a lot, but this is why we have spent so much time in this one book through 2023, because it's so rich, and because it's, it just gives us such a sense of depth and grandeur about God's plan through Jesus for all people. And so today we're going to finish that up. We're going to do a quick rundown of the last chapter and a half of the letter to the Romans. And so if you want to have your Bible open to Romans 15, we're going to start in verse 8 today, which is page 893 in our Pew Bibles. We're going to do a quick run through from that point to the end of the letter, then sum it all up, looking back over the course of the year and all that we've talked about and studied, and then we'll wrap things up with this theme for the year. So let's begin with a reading. Again, I'm not going to read the entirety of what's left in the letter that we haven't studied yet, but certainly some of the important stuff here. I want to start in 15 verse 8, and I want to read through the end of chapter 15. Starting in chapter 15 verse 8, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. 
And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles have hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Ilricium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand." This is the reason why I was so often hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem and bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now from there to the end, let me just show you this morning five key points, key words, I think, that can describe the sections that go from here to the end of the letter. And I'm going to admit that today I'm kind of depending on your recall of everything that we've talked about through the book, the book of Romans through this point in the year. So maybe it actually worked out well that this is just church family and we don't have a whole ton of guests with us today because I'm depending on your knowledge of what we've already covered. And so we'll do our best. Uh, we'll do our best to cover this as quickly as we can this morning and still let it sink in with its deep meaning. The first section is a lot of what we just read right there. From verses 8 to 13, Paul talks about the concept of fellowship. Now, this is the point that he was making through the entirety of chapter 14 and through the first seven verses of chapter 15, that these people who have disagreed with each other, who are from some Jewish background and some from Gentile background, that they come to agree and have complete, full fellowship because they are all in Jesus. This, I think, and I have not been secretive about this through all of our lectures, I think, or all of our sermons so far, this is the key reason 
for the writing of the letter to the Romans. The entire thing comes down to the fellowship between Jewish believers and Gentile believers, and then learning to appreciate each other and to be in full accord in Jesus Christ. And so that's the key point right here. And he shows that that was always the key point for God in the way that he thought about the plan to bring people to salvation because he quotes from Old Testament prophets like David and Moses and Isaiah He's quoting from all of them and all those little indented places in chapter 15 are showing that from antiquity, God was saying through the prophets, there will be a time when the Gentiles will come into fellowship with the Jews and all of you together will glorify God. That's what this is about. And so he says, again, reading from verse 8, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. And so this is the reason for the writing of the letters so that Paul could tell the Gentiles and the Jews to get along with each other in the Lord and enjoy complete fellowship now that they've all been saved in Jesus. And more than that, Paul says that's actually the reason for the way that he does his entire work of ministry. And so everything that Paul says he does, and the whole way he goes about his evangelistic efforts in the world is because he believes, and he knows from the teachings of God, that it's meant to bring, that the gospel is meant to bring all people together. And so that's why he says that he likes to go into places where nobody has planted a church yet. He likes to find places where there are no Christian believers yet. Nobody in that area knows about Jesus yet. Why does he do that? because he knows that they need the gospel too. It's not just about places where there are Jews who have a a firm grasp of the scriptures already. He wants to go to find Gentiles who don't know God, and he wants them to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so he teaches the gospel to everybody who will listen, but he likes to go and find the places where the Gentiles can become Christians and know the goodness of God through Jesus. And then once that's happened, once that's happened, we get to the section, which is, uh, which is verses, uh, I've turned my page here, 25 through most of chapter 16. And this is the section where he talks about this fundraising effort that Paul is doing, where he's collecting money from groups of, of Gentiles that have become Christians. And he's on his way to personally deliver it to Jews, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And, and, and the whole reason that he says he's doing that is because they share in their faith. And I think that's worth noting because, again, we, we tend to, I don't know, we tend to see that anybody that needs help, that's an opportunity for us to help. But in the ancient world, and particularly between the Jews and the Gentiles, this was not the way that things were viewed. Jews would help Jews, and that's it. And if, even if the Jews were suffering in some way, and there was a group of Gentiles that wanted to help them, the Jews would be very likely to reject the help, because they would see it as unwholesome, as contaminated, as unholy in some way to receive a gift from those who are not faithful to God. And yet, what Paul is up to here is going around and asking all of these Gentiles, please help your Jewish brothers. It's the same effort that he talked about when he wrote 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. 
It's just one of these things. He went to so many different groups and he said, you guys collect something every Sunday so that when I come to you, you can give that to me and I will take it with a handful of other men to Jerusalem and bless those Christians in that area with it. And so just that, I think, shows the camaraderie between Jewish background Christians and Gentile background Christians. This effort all by itself is a breakthrough for ethnic and racial harmony among the early Christians. And it shows that their fellowship with one another is very strong. Now you add to that all the people that he says hello to in chapter 16. I know we tend to get into that section and we're like, I don't know who any of these people are. What are all these names in here? And this is the longest list of names in the entire New Testament anyway, other than like Jesus' genealogy back in Matthew chapter 1. But this is a long list of names and we sit there and we go why? Like I get, I get why it would be on the letter when Paul sent it, but why didn't God just kind of like let that one disappear over the centuries? Why do we still need it in our Bible? And the answer is because God is telling us that all of those people were brothers and sisters, which is remarkable when you realize how many of them have Italian names, how many of them have Greek names, and how many of them have Jewish names. And yet he says, all of you are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that connection needs to be deep. You need to show your love to one another in Jesus through all of these relationships. And then he comes to give us one final reminder about all of that, which is chapter 16. Chapter 16, starting in verse 17. Let's read again from the words of God. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus, our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What is he doing right here? Two key things. Number one, number one, he says, your obedience is already in place. And I'm writing all of this stuff to you about fellowship. And the last thing I want you to read on this page, one of the last things in this letter is don't let anybody convince you otherwise. Stick to the truth you have heard from me. Let that fellowship concept go as deep as it really should. Because Christ gave himself for all of you to be one in him. Don't let anybody lead you astray from that. Because, the second key, it will work. If you do things God's way, it will work. Your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. It'll work, brothers and sisters, if you just believe this. And if you believe it and you don't give up on these truths and you really put it to work, then in the final bit of the letter, you will be able to join in Paul's chorus of praise to God. The whole thing 
If all of God's people can learn to live in harmony the way that he's teaching them through this letter, it will ultimately glorify God. And he will glorify himself by the fact that his people have learned to care about each other. And so starting in verse 25, he says this, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And to that, all of God's people said, Amen. And that's what this is all about. It ultimately, like everything, comes back to the fact that if God's people do what we're supposed to do, He will be glorified in us. And that's why we're here on this earth. Now, let's just go back and see how all of this fits together, how this letter is all constructed to that one great point that mattered so much for them and still matters for us today. In the opening section of Romans, we learned that all people, whether Jew or Gentile, are lost souls if they don't know Christ. And yet anybody, whether Jew or Gentile, who believes in Jesus can be saved by their faith in Him. And that's the next couple of chapters. When that happens, they're not going to be held captive by the law of Moses or by the law of their own desires and their own sins anymore. They'll be free to live for God, to become slaves of righteousness leading to eternal life. And then, and then they will begin, begin to see even better how that was always what God wanted all the way through the Old Testament up until their time and into ours. And then finally, if they can learn to live that out, then they will experience Christian unity that is of the highest and most rewarding caliber. Because that's what God was ultimately getting at. All of this is driving through to that one idea more than any other. And that's why we've spent so much time studying this, because I hope that it helps us to see the greatness of God's plan and this one key that outweighs all the others, that Christian unity, that the love and harmony among God's people is that important to the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, all of it comes together to remind us of a central truth that believers have been singing for generations now. You recognize these words? Elect of every nation, and yet one over all the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one new birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, and to one hope she presses with all the grace of God endued. Elect of every nation, and yet one over all the earth. No matter about each person's birthplace, or native language, or skin color, or religious background, or education level, or past sins, or anything else that you might bring with you as part of who you were in the past, when you are in Christ, who you are now as a forgiven saint serving Him, that is way more important than who you were in the past. 
All those things in the past might be the things that divide us from each other, but what we share in Jesus in the present is stronger than anything that divides us from the past. All of it comes together so that we are from every nation and yet one people with those who faithfully serve Christ. That's what it's about. No wonder then that in the reading that Dad began the service with this morning from Romans 12 and verse 16, he simply says, live in harmony with each other. When Beethoven finished conducting the premiere of his magnum opus, he could not hear its final notes. The final chords rang out only in his mind because he had gone deaf at that point. But the final chords rang out with splendid harmony nonetheless, and the audience that heard the entirety of Beethoven's opus rose to their feet in appreciation of the splendor of it. Again, if I had to pinpoint the magnum opus of Paul's writings, I would vote for the letter to the Romans. Let me make a little, um, a little encouragement here okay, as I finish up. The sermons have basically been music appreciation class. Okay? And, and I hope that they've been good for you. But I hope more than anything that what you've done is gone to the concert hall and heard the symphony. I hope that you will read Romans. I, like, I hope that the sermons are great. Don't get me wrong. But again, this is music appreciation class, and that's not a substitute for actually hearing the music in the concert hall. Go and listen to the Holy Spirit speak through the words that Paul's pen wrote. And let's appreciate the greatness and, the, and just the immensity of God's plan throughout all of history to bring us together as one people in our faith in Jesus Christ. May these magnificent teachings continue to ring in our ears and help us to know Him better in all of His truth and beauty and goodness. Because since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through Him, we have also obtained faith into grace in which we stand today. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God.